0: Well, thank you, worship team, and good morning. Thank you for uh, joining us either here or at home, wherever you are online. Uh, we are starting a new series, and if you would take a Bible or a Bible app and find Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2 uh, this morning. If you're looking online, you could also look for, um, uh, like, Bible Gateway. Dot .com and there's a lot of bibles available there. If you're here and you're like a bible there's a few at the back here or at the welcome center page 539 if you're using using our our bibles here. Do you find yourself sometimes using the words or maybe too often using the words if only. If only uh, life was normal again might be a frequent one if you've been sick or under under quarantine or um, limitation or you can't do this or that if only life could be normal maybe it's because of other hurts or or losses or lacks and you say if only it could be normal again so it's like you want to come from here up to here if only we could be here but you know what if if you've been normal and things are okay, you still ask the same question. Have you found that? If only I could do or be, if only I could experience, if only I could achieve, if only I could upgrade such and such. And the result is that we can constantly live with this dissatisfaction and emptiness. And ultimately, we don't really enjoy life. As we look into the book of Ecclesiastes in the coming weeks, we are looking at the words of Solomon, King Solomon of Israel, almost 3,000 years ago. Solomon had it all. Many people try to have it all. Solomon had it all. And he tells us very clearly, very repetitively, and it left me empty, and it left me empty. Ironically, the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is very positive and teaches us how to enjoy life. A little warning as we study this morning. You're going to have to hold on emotionally till the end of chapter 2. This is kind of like you watch a movie, maybe a thriller movie or something, and it's trouble after trouble after trouble, and it's never solved. Things only get worse until the very end, and then you go, ah. It worked out. Everything in life is meaningless, is what he tells us, in itself. Verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless. You might have the words futility or vanity, something like that. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear that? That everything is meaningless. Uh, Some of you might even be mumbling a little like Eeyore in the the Winnie the Pooh children's series. You know, I knew it. Life is meaningless. Even the Bible says so. Uh, Many readers, I think, in Ecclesiastes stumble at this. What a dismal outlook on life. Everything is meaningless. But uh, hang on, don't... uh, Don't tune out. Don't start scrolling other stuff on your Facebook feed. God is going to teach us something that we really, really need to enjoy life. But this meaninglessness is what is driving some people to depression and to to eventually suicide or anger and and violence. Life just feels so empty. And so Solomon says, I want to teach you something. He identifies himself as the teacher. Uh, You may have the word preacher. Um, And yet he's the king. Why would, a, why would a guy who's the king of this uh, amazing, big, prosperous nation of Israel at this time, why would he call himself the teacher instead of the king? He is, he is seeing himself in a different role. And if, you, if you picture where this takes place, when did, when did Solomon write this in his life? I think we'll conclude he said he wrote all this at the end of his life. When he realized that what is most important is what he had learned. Not what he had achieved, not what he had accumulated, but what he had learned. So he saw himself, first of all, now as a teacher. Uh, back in, in 2017 and into 18 that we did a series uh, in First Kings, which is really, essentially, the life of Solomon. And uh, so we, we traced his remarkable life. And you may read, as a young king, as a young godly king, Solomon uh, had this, this vision where God appeared to him when he was making a, sac- at a sacrifice. And, and God said, Solomon, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, oh God, give me wisdom to rule this people. And God was so pleased with what he requested. He says, because you've asked wisdom, I'll give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you wealth and honor. It's it's God's nature, kind of, to just bless when our priorities are right. And his priority was right at that time. And so he became the, the wisest man ever, probably, and the wealthiest man ever. He had it all. But then, if you remember how the... The story of First Kings progresses, Solomon fell into sin. It really uh, boiled down to him taking wife after wife after wife, pagan wives, and then in an the effort to appease them, he was building them their, their pagan altars, and he himself drifted and fell into idolatry. And so God said, I'm going to discipline you, Solomon. And I'm going to take the kingdom, most of the kingdom away from you. I'm going to divide the kingdom. And he gave 10 tribes to Jeroboam, and only two remained in the family line with his son, Rehoboam. So that's kind of the the story of Solomon, 1 Kings 1 through through 11. 1 Kings, the story of Solomon ends in disappointment. But is that really where Solomon's life ended down here? I don't think so. Because I think when we're reading Ecclesiastes, we're actually reading about a repentant Solomon. This is how he viewed life at the end of life. Let's just trace his spiritual journey, simplifying it. 1 Kings 1 through 10, he was obeying the Lord. Things were going really well. By 1 Kings 11, we find that's where it traces the story of his disobedience. But I think in Ecclesiastes, we have the repentant end years of his life Solomon as you probably know wrote most of the book of Proverbs probably in those wise wiser early years and we have the richness of of the book of Proverbs but now we have the richness of what he writes at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes captured maybe in this verse from the last chapter of Ecclesiastes remember your creator in the days of your youth In other words, he's kind of like a grandfather that's sitting down with us and says, I'd really like you to not make the mistakes I did. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. The issue is that we want to learn from Solomon so we don't have to learn like Solomon did. Meaningless, vanity, empty, this term actually occurs in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible 55 times. All but eight of them come from the pen of, of Solomon. The word empty, the word vanity or meaningless is is like a, it's, it's literally the word for like a puff of air. It's like, it's gone. You can't see it. It's, it's meaningless. It's just kind of empty. It doesn't do anything for you and it's, it's over, no profit. And so in verse 3, what does a man gain from his labor? The rhetorical question is Nothing, nothing. And again, we're going to be, be bombarded this in these two chapters with the negativity, but to make a very positive point. We're going to, the, the, book, the book really kind of cycles four times. If you were to sit down this afternoon or this week sometime and read the whole book, it's not that long, you would, you would, you would find yourself by going through four cycles of encouragement and discouragement, encouragement and discouragement. Solomon, as it were, comes up for air like four times to tell us what he really wants us to know that will really enrich and and give value to our lives. But if you were to summarize the whole book, you could maybe use a statement something like this. Life in this messy world makes sense and brings joy only when you know God and walk with him. It's a messy world and it'll only make sense, it'll only bring you joy if you know him and walk with him. So what Solomon does in these verses is, chapters one and two, is, is just goes through a series of issues in life that seem to bring people joy. It's it kind of what we all do. We, we, we all would like to have these things. This is, this is the, the if-onlys. And, and many of these things make people happy for a while. It's kind of like going to the theme park and enjoying the roller coaster or the tilt-a-whirl, and it's great, and then it comes to a stop, right? And it's, it, it's over. So we want to see instead, what is it that is able to give us enduring joy through life? The first part of his thesis is this. Our lives are repetitive and brief. Verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. So it's just repetitive and and it's a dismal thing. Life is just the same thing over and over. The generations come and go I really it's really exciting being a grandparent, but there's also this realization as, as I lost my parents a couple of years ago that I'm now the oldest generation. And so you kind of realize this, this is all moving that direction. Sunrises, sunsets, and, and you know how fast some of those days are? It's like, I don't even remember Thursday. I don't remember, you know, last week, Monday. What, what did I even do? It goes so fast. The wind patterns are repetitive. It brings hot, brings cold, changes direction. But it, it all just kind of happens over and over. And nothing really exciting in the weather. If you, fi- if you find the weather channel exciting, Good for you. You're easily in, you're easily entertained. <laughs> to the place the streams come from, they return again. This is uh, this is kind of like fifth grade science class. The rain comes down and then it goes off your your, your lawn into the. St- Sewer, water, storm, sewer, and streams and rivers and the lake or the ocean, and it all evaporates and goes back and comes rain again. Uh, actually, probably Solomon was a bit advanced scientifically to kind of understand how that system worked. But there's this endless cycle. Verse 8 All things are wearisome, or you may have the word labor some. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. It's like, he says, if you go through three, four generations, he says, everybody is forgotten. So there's a wearisomeness, verse eight. Life can feel like a treadmill. Spinning wheel that the hamster seems to enjoy, and so life feels like this. You, you, you get up, you go to work, you uh, come home, you eat, you watch TV, you go to bed, you get up, and you just do this thing over and over. The eye has never had enough of seeing, or or ear hearing. You know, I new experiences. I some of you know I like to travel, whether it's uh, motorcycle touring or vacation car flying someplace new and seeing new things and 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 um and I got to see the Southwest a few weeks ago and I'll never admit it but there's a time to go home and 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 going back to Meadow Court always feels good. Because finally you can only see so much stuff and it's it's all the same. So so Rarely do we say there's something new. You know, technology makes us feel like there's always something new. But I somehow think that if Solomon were here in this age of fast-advancing technology, he would really say, no, actually, you're just finding new ways to do the very same thing. You, you earn money and spend money. I used to write checks. Now it's auto-pay and Amazon or whatever used to want to know what the weather is. I'd look outside or step outside. Unbelievably, I look at my phone to see what the weather is five feet away. You're just doing new, old things, new ways. And so verse 11 kind of hits home that no one's going to remember because these generations are just flying by. You'll be forgotten. Um, Some years ago, we were at a, a retreat center and I picked up a book on the Vanderbilts. You know the Vanderbilts? A few of you, I think I know them, because isn't there a university? Because in March Madness, there's a Vanderbilt University that shows up once in a while. But we really don't know the Vanderbilts. They were the wealthiest family in America 150 years ago. Cornelius Vanderbilt um, had a monopoly virtually on America's emerging uh, transportation, shipping, railroads. He, He had it all. And so he was this Fabulously wealthy man, and the Vanderbilts are mostly forgotten. Will Bill Gates and uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett be remembered 150 years ago? A L- lot of us don't care already, right? And so if your, if your precious toddler became the next Bill Gates or, or president, he or she will be forgotten. As well, if you're, if you're a football fan, you, you trivia question, who was the MVP last year? How about the year before? How about the year before? So, so even if you're a fan, and you kind of know these names, you, you probably can't even remember them. And if you do, you need a life. But, but everybody, no matter what they achieve, are so soon forgotten. Verse 12 goes on. What about education? Knowledge. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So there's a, education doesn't fix anything. And so we sometimes think, if I just had a degree, if I just knew more, I'd be happy. And so we pursue the degrees. And, and now, now we're able to get answers to all of our questions just by summoning the internet gods. Hey, Google. Hey, Siri. Sorry if I just woke up your phone. Solomon had such intellectual capacities, and yet he concluded in verse thirteen, "What a heavy burden God has laid on man! Because what's twisted can't be can't be straightened. Knowing things doesn't fix things. What's lacking, what's missing, you can't replace it." So we can't be assured that we'll be happy once we we graduate and we have the degree or we have the new job. It's just, that's not the key to happiness. What good is my knowledge if it's only raised my awareness of how empty life is, verse 16? I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after wind. Here's why. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Hmm. What good is knowledge if it just raises my awareness of of what's wrong in life? Uh, Some of you, probably two weeks ago, uh, got a notification on your phone about an emergency in Ozaki County, and there was uh, a couple guys loose, possibly armed and dangerous, and you were supposed to lock your doors and turn on your lights. I didn't get it on my phone. I wasn't home, but Priscilla got it. And uh, when, when the whole thing was over, she was thinking, you know, this, that's helpful. So, so she actually went to the Ozaki uh, Law Enforcement and, and signed up for notifications. And after a day or two of hearing about every arrest get that off my phone. I don't really want to know all that stuff. I bet you somewhere in the last three or four months, many of us, maybe most of us in this room, have either reduced the amount of social media or got off of social media or read less news because finally you just don't want to know. There's this time you think that, you know, if, we got to get our head out of the sand like we can't be an ostrich. We've got to know everything. And At some point, we just want it to stop. Let the ostrich be the state bird, but I don't want to know. Chapter 2 continues with a list of what leaves you empty. It's quite a list that we're going to discover. Entertainment, alcohol, achievement, wealth, sex, work. Under the banner of pleasure, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. Interesting, my mind still guiding me with wisdom because I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So, the issue is, he says, I want to see can you, is life meaningful if you could just always have fun? Uh, the, the, the term for, for pleasure here is like a sensory feeling thing that's the experiential yeah, you know, fun. It's, it's what we go for. It, it, transitioning from chapter one to two, in chapter, chapter one, uh, grammatically, it's in the third person. Like, what does man gain? But now, this is autobiographical, chapter two. I decided, I, first person, I, I want to know by my experience, I'm going to exper- experiment with what actually brings me fun. The two-year-old toddler is looking for fun, and so there's something shiny, i got to get this. The teenager, a little bit more freedom, and I'm gonna, i I got to, oh, wow, I'm going to try this. Or you get a little more money in midlife, or maybe you retire and you have more time, or whatever. And it's always like, I, I'm going now I'm going to finally have some fun. And, uh, you know, Solomon had endless resources to enjoy anything he wanted, and everyone turned out to be empty pleasure. We have so many things at our disposal with streaming services or, or video gaming. And if I, I sometimes think, too, if Solomon had seen or known what we had, he wouldn't have even been surprised that we can have all this endless entertainment and we still get bored. How can that be? You flip through it and you click it and it's kind of like, I don't know what to do. When there's endless things we could do, laughter ends up being foolish. I tried cheering myself with wine. I bet you had the best of the best when it came to wine. It always seems like that'll be fun because you see people laughing a little louder and, but when the party's over, you go back to the same house, the same family, the same arguments, the same struggles. And, and Solomon says, you know, it's not like I was so drunk I didn't know what was going on. I was testing myself to know what was happening and what wasn't happening and it wasn't satisfying me. Where else did he seek joy? Verse four, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Can you try to picture what his projects were? I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house workforce. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women, singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I, I was still thinking. So he was a builder. and You can read in 1 Kings, he spent 13 years building his house. Imagine having Endless wealth and endless workforce and still taking 13 years to build this house. Or we studied uh, back going through 1 Kings about him building the temple. Incredible, magnificent building, dedicated to God, took seven years, great project. And then he's an enterprising horticulturist and creating uh, parks countless slaves. All he had to do was snap his fingers, and there were plenty of people to do everything he wanted them to do. Silver and herds, that was a measure of wealth. Silver and gold, uh, it was, if you go back to look at the actual tonnage of gold that this man had, he was in any society the richest man by any measure that ever lived. Entertainment, Men and women singers. He didn't have to stream entertainment. It all came streaming in person. A harem. First Kings eleven two tells us about his unbelievably, seven hundred wives and three hundred mistresses, uh, the the ultimate ancient playboy. In verse nine, I became greater by far than anyone before me. He wasn't he wasn't exaggerating. This is actually true spend 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 he can do it indulge 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 he did it but the whole time he says i was still thinking testing 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 is this satisfying verse 10 i denied myself nothing my eyes desired i refused my heart no pleasure My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, here's the word again, meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained, nothing profitable, lasting profit under the sun. Come on, Solomon. All of that, and you... You didn't find meaning and satisfaction. All the things that we've been chasing, you almost start to feel sorry for the guy. And, and so you maybe hold out one last hope. Maybe Solomon, because God gave you this infinite or, or incredible wisdom, maybe your, your wisdom will bring you satisfaction. Then I turn my thoughts, verse 12, then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness, and and the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless, for the wise men like the fool will not be long remembered In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man also must die. So, yeah, wisdom is better than foolishness, but what's the point? Because both of them die and it's over. Are you depressed yet? Still glad you came to church? Uh, We're supposed to grasp by this repetitive discussion of this wisest man ever coming to us at the end of his life. We're supposed to digest that everything we are trying to achieve will leave us empty, even if we get it. Because this guy had it all and came up empty. And that's what he's teaching us, which would be depressing unless... Unless unless he discovered and God was going to show us what it was we were missing. But hold on to emotions one more, one little bit longer. Verses 17 through 23. Solomon now tells us really how aging affected him. Verse 17, so I hated life Wow, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless or empty, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who's not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days is work. His work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. And and I know a lot of skills and knowledge represented here and, 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 and... you stay awake, you're trying to do the best you can. He says, even when you do all that hard work, you you, you finally realize the end of it is that all your work is going to go to somebody else. He who dies with the most toys does not win anything. Someone else gets all the toys. The Vanderbilts, uh, the richest family 150 years ago, had a Vanderbilt reunion about 50 years ago in 1973, I read, a, read an article and it said that, the article said that nobody at the reunion was even a millionaire after this heritage of billions in today's economy. And it tried to trace what happened through the family line that the money, the houses, the businesses were lost, but somebody else got everything. As as, uh, as Solomon completes this first of four cycles found in Ecclesiastes, I want you to notice he's been he's been writing this autobiographical section in the past tense. I said, I did, I tried. So all the empty, despairing stuff describes younger Solomon and actually describes his glory days. So so at the peak, the best of his years, that's what he was learning, and now was looking back at and saying, realizing now it was empty. Past tense. But now in verses 24 to 26, these last three verses, he begins to speak in the present, present tense of what is true and what he's discovered. Remember he calls himself the teacher and, and he realizes that what he has learned is more important than what he has achieved or acquired. And so God has inspired the life and the words of Solomon so that we would have a different perspective. And so that whatever piece of life is still left to us we would not be thinking if only but that we would rather learn from this older thoughtful perspective if i knew then what i know now but we're still in the then we can we can still make the adjustments That's what God is doing in in this book for us. Helping us to realize what does not matter so that we can invest in that which does and thereby find true enjoyment. Because God is calling us to enjoy this life even if others don't. We recently completed our series in prophecy, and think about that amazing future that God has planned for believers in Christ in heaven, and we rejoice at that, but do we realize that God has also designed that we can enjoy life now, but not if our goal is finding joy and meaning in all this stuff in itself. Chapter 12 will give us, in a sense, the final answer, but Solomon, the good teacher, knows that we can't quite wait this long. So he's going to give us, start to fill in the answer bit by bit. Telling us what can rescue us from the futility that everyone in life experiences, whether it's the people on the the celebrity newsstand cover or whether it's the the homeless addict, what we've what, what everybody's been trying to do, how do you get out of that futility? And the basic answer, verses 24 through 26, is that everything in life becomes meaningful when we enjoy it from God, with God, and for God, or to please God. It changes everything. Verse 24, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him who can eat or find enjoyment. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing of wealth to hand it over to someone To the one who pleases God, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, referring to the unbeliever who's stuck in this cycle of meaninglessness. Do life with God, he says, and you suddenly experience meaning in all the stuff that was empty. He says, first of all, in verse 24, nothing better for a man. You could read that with the negative Eeyore vibe, well, it's not great, but there's nothing better. But that's not how to read this. It's actually quite the opposite. It's something very positive. There's nothing better than to eat, drink, find enjoyment in your work. From God, with God, for God. And it changes everything. So Solomon, on one hand, has been saying how empty all these things are in themselves. But everything changes with these two phrases you'll find in verse 24 and 25. If you, if, you have, if you underline in your Bible, underline these two things. The hand of God and the phrase without him. The hand of God and without him. These phrases turn the whole argument upside down. It, it flips the whole world view which says something only believers can understand. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because the thing the things that Solomon used to believe before falling into sin and wisely repenting, the things he used to think would bring satisfaction, those things are empty unless we see them as the hand of God and enjoy them with him. It changes it all. So do you see things as from the hand of God? James clarified the same point in the New Testament. Don't be deceived. <laughs> okay, what is the world doing? The, the, the world is deceived about these things. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If it's good, it's from God. Do we recognize, are we thinking vertically do we recognize that everything comes from God to be and can be enjoyed from Him, with Him, and for Him? The opposite is this, and we're going to look at these three terms in a moment. What ruins our joy is selfishness, pride, and discontent instead of seeing things from the hand of God and enjoying them from God with God and for God. So the the opposite we must understand the hand of God but here's what is going to bring emptiness and ruin our joy. First of all, selfishness. Selfishness is when we see these things as our rights. It's my right. Gifts are the opposite of rights. The pursuit of happiness can be completely self-centered and usually is. And that's not the hand of God. That's the opposite of the hand of God. But a grateful heart says everything is from him. This is the message we all need as we approach a Thanksgiving table, and if people are missing or whatever it might be, that every good thing that comes to my mind is from God. And can be genuinely enjoyed if it's from God, but if it's my rights that are front in my mind, it'll ruin joy. What also ruins joy is pride. That's when I believe I deserve these things. Grace is the opposite of deserving. We know that in the story of salvation. We don't deserve eternal life. We can only have eternal life through grace because Jesus paid for our sins. The same is true with the rest of life. As we eat and and drink and do things and spend and have fun, efforts, it'll all eventually run dry to the degree we are subconsciously proud that we did this. I worked hard for this. And it actually reduces our joy when we don't see it as from the hand of God. It, it, this is all oh, God that I could do that. And, and so sometimes we just vaguely tip our hat to God, but really we're still thinking, but I should get the good stuff. It's not the hand of God. The third thing that ruins our joy is discontent. I want more. More. Some of you watch home shows. Don't they just make you so grateful for your own house? You watch, it, watch one of these renovation shows and you go, look around, man, that's dated. Key word, you need to know that word, dated. I need an open concept. Whatever it might be, because we always think we could, we could have more, we could have more. We've used the word stewardship whenever we've uh, talked about biblical finances. Usually we think of stewardship as a money term because money, uh, we have to realize, is all from God. God owns everything. That's a phrase, like hopefully it's part of your, your mindset that God owns everything, we own nothing, and the proof of that is you take nothing with you when you die, so therefore, Everything's been on loan. Everything has been like God says, I'll let you manage this much. That's a stewardship. It's not just money, though. Everything in life is a stewardship. So it's time and gifts and abilities and opportunities. It's all a stewardship. And so it can all be actually good when it comes down from the thought, when you recognize the hand of God, that he is the source of all these things. And not only is the a source of it, verse 25 says, For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? And you go, Oh, I need to enjoy everything with God. It's from him. So let's enjoy it together. And and that's we've we've all probably discovered that whatever that you enjoy doing, you really enjoy doing with somebody else. That adds to the enjoyment. Can you enjoy things just with God? It's kind of the loneliness test. Do you have an abiding awareness of the presence of God, that he is indeed with you? It's something we all say as believers in Christ, that he's with us. Is he he with you when you're alone? Because then you can enjoy things just with him. To see a beautiful sunrise, you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to post a picture. You, You can just enjoy it from God and with God. You can think of what you're lacking if there's certain people that don't like you, but the people that love you, can you say, God, I just thank you for these people. In my life, they, they love me. I may not have 100% health, but God, I thank you for the health I have. And, and my job has hard things, but God, you have equipped me to do the hard things, and so I thank you for, for my job. You can enjoy things from God and with God. Even, since we've been you know, mentioning technology, even, even entertainment, is that like a, another part of your life that's not God-oriented? Or can you watch a movie or a show and say, thank you, God. Because, because I watched this and, 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 and it made me laugh for the right reasons. It made me think for the right reasons. And it didn't drag my mind into places it shouldn't go. And so I thank you for this entertainment. Because if you don't think that way, watch out because you'll just do what you do to please your sinful nature. Do you do things from, do you understand the good things are from God, you enjoy them with God, and ultimately you do them for God. Verse 26, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, nope. They're stuck with this endless emptiness, the unbeliever. So is it our heart to please God? This this is so fundamentally the, the, the basis of any true enjoyment, lasting enjoyment in life is, am I doing it to please God? God did not give us this life to please ourselves. He gave us this life to please him. Do you own that statement? 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. It was the basis of, in there, of, 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 of biblical uh, morality, but it's the basis of everything. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ, you know that heaven has been purchased and, and is given to you as a gift this is a reference to the cross. You're bought with a price. He died for your sins to bring you into his family. Therefore, glorify God in everything you do in this life, in this body. When you think of all the good, amazing things that God created and all the experiences possible that, are, that have the goodness of God, the image of God shining through, this is not telling us there are, everything in life is horrible. It's actually saying there's many good things, but you know there's only a small select group of people who will be able to enjoy them from God, with God, and for God. And that's us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have the opportunity for God to fulfill his purposes for everything good he's ever made. And that's what he's calling us to do, that he, we would glorify him with all those things and now there is meaning and purpose and not emptiness the spiritual fall of Solomon didn't happen all at once even though you read through First Kings and uh, the first 10 chapters are so positive but suddenly in chapter 11 it tells you that Solomon did not completely follow the Lord ooh I understand that one he did not completely follow the Lord and then it it spiraled into his accumulation of, of, of wife after wife and 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 excesses and trying to find happiness in, in all these things. And so, so Solomon's message to us now in his older years is that whether we're 18 or 48 or 88, that whatever is left of our life that our pursuit of joy is God-centered. And if you, if you live and experience the good things of life from him, with him, and for him, you actually will enjoy life when others don't. It comes from him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are uh, running towards emptiness so much of our life, we know. And we all recognize ourselves in the journey that Solomon took. Solomon's a man who knew you and loved you, walked with you, and then found himself not completely following you, and uh, paid a dear price. And, and so, Lord, we take this from your good hand, that uh, we, we can trace uh, Solomon's emptiness and find how you, in fact, are the only one that fills us. Thank you for Jesus Christ that uh, because it's the only way we have this relationship with you. Thank you for uh, your love for us to, to love the whole world that you would give Jesus to pay for our sins so that we could start that relationship with you by simple faith in Christ. And so Lord, I pray that uh, wherever this uh, day finds us that you would take us from this point and uh, correct, adjust, align ourselves with your purposes for us in Jesus' name. Amen.